Thank you so much for listening to Exactly Podcast with me, Florence Given. For the first four-part mini-series, we've been talking all about sex, and it's my favourite topic, so naturally, it had to come first. If you've listened to the last three episodes, you know that we've covered sexual empowerment, kink and confidence with Miss Erica Storm, queerness, bisexuality and slut-shaming with Megan Barton Hansen, and in episode three, we spoke about healing from sexual trauma with the incredible Dr. Tame Bryant. I was really nervous about doing that episode, but honestly, it was one of the most nourishing conversations and healing conversations that I've ever had. If you haven't listened yet, please listen. All of them were just amazing, and I feel so lucky to have these conversations and lucky to be able to share them with such amazing listeners. This is the fourth and final episode on sex, unfortunately. But next week, we do have a topic that's just as juicy. We're going to be talking all about feminism. I can't wait to fully explore this with different guests and with you. But for now, back to sex. We've not quite finished on this one yet. For this final episode, excitingly, I'm going to be handing over the interviewing role to you. You've been sending in your texts and your voice notes to our WhatsApp hotline number at plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And today, myself and the award-winning sex writer, educator, journalist, podcaster, and queen of puns, Alex Fox, are going to be answering as many of them as we can. Alex was the script consultant on Netflix's Sex Education, which I'm sure you've seen, and if you haven't, I highly recommend it. She's also the host of an acclaimed Audible series called Kink, and she's a multi-award winner, including the winner of Best Sexual Health Ambassador 2020. So I really couldn't be in better company today. So Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's a treasured pleasure, Floss. I'm going to ask you five of my quick fire questions. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Quick fire, dick fire, high yes. five, low five, somewhere in the middle, lubed up and fiddling <laughs> five. Hit me with them. Okay. You have my full consent. Okay. <laughs> Question number one. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Oh, God, one thing. Travel, escape rooms, <laughs> geocaching, and finding glitter in my boyfriend's chest hair. <laughs> <laughs> the ro- usual rules of mathematics okay, do not a, apply to me. <laughs> so a, four things, but in one sentence. So I, th- I think we're good. Adventure. Okay. If you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life... Do not make me choose. <laughs> <laughs> a look that would define you forever, so how you would want to be remembered. Ooh. What would um, that be? Something reversible. So okay. it, so I could do a quick change. Um, I have a green chainmail dress that I wore to my very first fetish party. Um, it's so heavy that it makes indentations in my shoulder. <laughs> so I will probably really re- regret the practical aspects of choosing to wear this forevermore. But practicality has never been my strong suit. So yeah, <laughs> let me clink into the afterworld glamorously and sexually. And that's how you want to be remembered. That look. <laughs> Metal. Yeah, yes. seems appropriate. Okay. Absolutely. Iconic. What what's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? Ooh. I think they think I can't be quiet. Um, but I would argue that sometimes being quiet is exactly the right thing to do. It's a time to be loud and a time to be silent and listen. Okay, next question. Finish the sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to everything. <laughs> And isn't that the way so it should many, be? Yes, no, so many guests have said the exact same thing. And, it, and it's just brilliant because this, this whole show anyway is about not having all the fucking answers. And it's just If such you a good answer. think you do, you've stopped asking the right questions, mm-hmm. I think. Okay, amazing. Next question. The last one of the quick five questions. 
When was the last time you majorly cringed at yourself? Oh, God. I cringe myself inside out, upside down and like human <laughs> origami on a daily basis. <laughs> um, frequently, because I work in radio and broadcast, I have to listen back to myself. It's really good for your learning. Uh, I found that with this podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> it is more painful than uh, being trod upon by a T-Rex <laughs> whilst laying on a bed of nails, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's hideous. So now we're going to go straight into the listener question. So this is a message from Vicky. They've said, I identify as queer and have dated lots of amazing people, but only ever had straight sex. How would you approach the topic of being a virgin in non-straight sex? I'm super nervous that when the time comes for some awesome gay sex, I'm going to be super inexperienced and that I'm going to suck. Well, sucking is a good place to start with a lot of people, isn't it? So, Vicky, you're doing great already. But at the moment, the lack of good resources and the lack of active sex education about queer sex in schools mean that a lot of people feel ultra nervous because they they haven't received that information. Mm. Secondly, I think there's a false assumption that if somebody has a body that's aligned kind of like yours that you will automatically know what yes, to do with it yes I said this um literally over a pint with a mate a couple of weeks ago it was a straight guy whatever and he was talking about how he feels incompetent compared to lesbian sex because old girls know what they're doing and I said you literally every single pussy is different uh-huh. right and you have to literally ask how the person wants to be fucked anyway regardless of what you like 100% um, just because you own a pussy doesn't mean that you can be the manager of Battersea. All, pussy, <laughs> all pussies are different, right? All people are different and we're all different at different times as well, which is why communication, constant communication is such a, an important thing. So moving on to how Vicky should navigate this uh, this hopeful experience of first time <laughs> fumblings and rumblings with a, a new adventurous person. Um, I would say the first thing they need to do, because they mentioned that they're nervous, is get to know the difference in themselves between the fun jitters and the oh shitters. Mm. Because sometimes nerves that are good and fizzing and exciting can feel a little bit like nerves that are bad and worrisome and red flags and maybe telling you that things are moving too fast. So checking in with yourself and going, you know, is this is this good jitters or is this bad oh shitters? Is this excited nerves or uncomfortable no-nos? And learning to ask other people about how they're feeling is a really good place to start. I think a lot of people um, know now that they have the right to say no to something or ask to slow down if they want to, but they still find that quite uncomfy to say. So Vicky might find it really useful to practice ways of saying, I, I don't like this mm-hmm. or I'd like to slow down in a way that feels comfortable to them. So having something prepared like, I find you really hot, but uh, that touch isn't quite working for me or, or, or can we just ease off a sec? Yeah. Of course, you can say no as impolitely as you want and that should be respected. Mm. But I think having a sentence in your arsenal, if you will, (laughs) which is a place they may may well play with, um, that makes you feel comfortable about saying no in a way that still... That still has a a cosy tone to it. We have this fear of killing the mood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What would you say? So I remember when I first came out and I'd only been with male partners... I felt this pressure 
to sleep with a woman to prove to myself and everyone around me that I was queer and that I was bisexual. I think the most bisexual thing ever is to just constantly be questioning your sexuality and to always wonder if you you even are queer. And so I just wanted to go out and have sex. And I did. And it ended up being incredible and really amazing, luckily. But it's not always the way to do it. I was lucky that my first experience with a woman was really incredible. And I I remember actually, I was so surprised at the amount of times we spoke during the sex and because previously with with men and it wasn't like a nice experience I had, it's always just kind of assumptive and kind of responding to what he wanted. And then when I was with this woman, it was, we actually spoke a lot during it. And so I think that you need to get used to talking during sex yes, and communication during sex and saying, I love it when you touch me here. I don't like this. Or like taking the person's hand and just being like, no, here. Like that's hot and you can make consent. So fucking sexy. As mandatory as it is, it can be so hot. And I think getting used to talking during sex will make you less nervous because just because you have a pussy doesn't mean that you're going to know what to do with somebody else's because they might like it another way. They might like this direction or they might like this curve with the fingers. They might like something completely different. You have to treat every new sexual partner as a completely different map that you need to like ask directions for as opposed to something that you're supposed to know the answers to because, oh, the stereotype is is that lesbian sex is the best in all the land and you need to be immediately good at it because you have a pussy. Also, if you've not even touched your own pussy, which a lot of women haven't, Uh people who have pussies, if you've not touched your own vulva and you're not familiar, then... How can you expect yourself to know how to pleasure someone else? I this think it's very RuPaul. How can yeah. you expect someone else to love you if you can't love yourself? Exactly. How are you going to touch another pussy if you haven't touched your own pussy? I totally agree with <laughs> both these points. Um, sorting out your safety first as well, I think, before you go into this, making mm. sure you've got your dental dams, your latex gloves, your condoms for toys, that your mm-hmm. fingernails don't double as medieval instruments for torture. Um, and I think... Another thing that I'd say to Vicky is maybe manage your expectations. There is so much hype about losing your virginity or first time experiences. And a lot of the language that we use around sex is extremely hyperbolic. It's mind blowing, <laughs> earth shattering. Uh, it's it's going to rock your world. <laughs> It might just be really pleasant Mm. or bits of it might not be because you're learning. Mm. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're fucking it up. And it doesn't necessarily mean, although it might be, it might mean um, that the person you're with isn't that good a fit for you. Sometimes it just means that you're still in that phase of, of learning about each other and learning about yourself. So right now, very excitingly, we're going to take our first caller and we have someone that we're calling Maddie on the line. Hi, (laughs) nice to meet you. What would you like to ask us today, Maddie? Well, my question has to do with orgasms. So I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'm 24 years old. I've been sexually active for the last four years and I've never had an orgasm, neither through masturbation or through sex. And I have obviously heard from some friends who struggle orgasming during sex, but I feel a little bit alone in in the fact that I've never had one either through masturbation or sex. Maddie, first of all, can you tell me a little bit more about how you Mm. feel about your situation. My friends are always kind of talking about or coming and that it sounds like they're coming all the time and I'm just there and I like, I really want to know what the fuss is all about and I really want to have one and I just feel, yeah, this pressure to have one and 
also a little bit ashamed when I fail and I know I shouldn't see it as failure, but it just kind of feels like it a little bit. Okay. I completely understand those emotions and I know it's going to be really hard, but I do want to encourage you to let go of that sense Mm. of shame and of Mm -hmm. self-blame because not only does it break my heart, you beautiful bento box full of bounteous <laughs> wonder that you're, you are allowing yourself to feel so bad about something which is so freaking common. Some real talk here. Mm. Some of your girlfriends are probably fibbing and the stats <laughs> back this up. There was a, a survey carried out by a sex toy brand called Lilo. They looked at over 4,400 couples. Uh, they found that just shy of one in 20 women had never orgasmed with a sexual partner. And I'm I'm wow. very willing to bet that a big old slice of that pie are also people who find it really difficult, if not impossible so far, to orgasm on their mm. own. So you are absolutely <laughs> not alone in this situation. Yeah. I also understand the whole feeling like you're missing out thing. I've had friends who have also had the Mm. same problem and it almost feels like you're missing out on this club. It's like the secret club and it's like, why the fuck me? Like, (laughs) why not me? Why am I not experiencing this thing? And the approach that I've always had to when my friends have spoke to me about this is to talk about openly, talk about how they're wanking because there's nothing Mm -hmm. like, there's no inspirational quote that I can give my friends to help them climax on their own right yeah but I think for me as someone who can orgasm um the way I would talk with my friends is I would just talk about all the different ways that I do it and in doing that that almost lifts the the collective shame in my friendship group like they all bought sex toys after we had this chat Mm. and then they I feel like almost lifting that shame and having those thoughts that aren't in your head um the first time I masturbated when I was very young I was apologizing to God like literally (laughs) I'm not even religious I was thanking God I was (laughs) I was was apologizing to him so afterwards because something in me thought that it was really dirty and really bad Mm. and it was this shame and it was like already at like 10 years old I was apologizing Mm to a man for like enjoying my body so Mm. I feel like that this kind of shame even though you're speaking about it now when you're in that moment and you're trying to get yourself off it's still in your head isn't it a little bit and I I imagine that there are a lot of mental blocks to being able to orgasm also Mm -hmm. I'm almost excited for other people to hear you admit this and say Mm. this out loud (laughs) because I think it's it's like Alex said it's way more common than you Mm. realize yeah. I've got three tips for you, Maddie. Okay. Um, the first kind of echoes what Floss has just said. Unfortunately, too much press pressure is a massive pleasure depressor. <laughs> so the fact that you are so understandably, but unfortunately, anxious, nervous, stressed, mm. worrying that something's wrong, worrying that you're not the same as everybody else, hoping, praying, like, when's it going to come? Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Orgasms are such elusive little bastards. The more you wish for them, the more they can run from you. Yeah. So I... Avoid an attachment. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to make those little bastards like Velcro and more like inclined to stick to you, I think you might have to try and find a way, like Floss says, of getting your head in a a more pleasant space. Mm. That's 
an easy thing to say, not necessarily an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, something I find really useful to get myself in a, in a positive mm-hmm. headspace is to listen to guided meditations. And there are some really great erotic ones out there. Um, I like to use, there's an app called Furly uh, and another one called Dipsy. Um, that I've have, used yeah, that one. They're fantastic, but they really help to get my head in the horny zone rather than the <laughs> blowing the horn. We're okay. about to do a master. <laughs> and it's all very serious and and frightening. (laughs) So try one of those. The second thing is, and I really appreciate that I'm talking about something that it's not a cheap toy, but if you can possibly find the cash to invest, Mm -hmm. I would say it could be a really brilliant um, investment for you to look at trying a mains-powered magic wand. It's a traditional vibrator, but what makes it different is for starters, it has quite a wide surface area. So it sends vibrations through a larger uh, area of your body and thus excites more nerve endings. It gives you a bit of a better chance of awakening more of your bits, which some people find that they need that uh, breadth Mm. of excitement in order to get themselves off. A lot of... Uh, people in the same situation as you who've told me that until this point they haven't yet Mm. orgasmed um it's not that you can't orgasm my love it's that you just haven't yet this is this is still there is still hope Um, (laughs) lots of them have said that the magic wand was the thing that got them there um and the third thing i would suggest is a problem that I struggle with and that I have framed very differently in my head now to how I did when I was younger is I have a problem called I call overwhelm, <laughs> which is for me to <laughs> orgasm in a particular way, which is arguably like uh, the most strong or the most definite orgasm, the kind of orgasm that I now would be able to have with a sex toy on my own. I need to concentrate really hard. Mm. I've got to have my head on Mm. my V and not the A to Z of everything else. I've really got to be thinking about how that's feeling. When I'm having partnered sex and I'm thinking about how my lover smells, how what my playmate's saying, all the ways they're touching my body, I love all of that. It's all beautiful pleasure. It is too much input. It's like ADHD of sex for me that I love it, but it's too, too much often for me to have a particular style of orgasm because it doesn't let me concentrate my head in the way that I need. Um, I've sort of accepted that I like the kind of orgasms I can have on my own when I make this face and uh, when I catch my reflection. <laughs> Yes, yes. And I also the like round brows. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like the the kinds of more general pleasure and, and different sorts of climax that I can have when I'm with somebody else. So rather than that's rather than me seeing as um partnered sex not being successful because it doesn't feel the same as when I when I'm on my own, I think no, that's just a different type of having a good time. Yeah. Um but for a long time, I wondered why I couldn't replicate the experience of me, myself and I with me, myself and somebody else. Uh, and I decided that I didn't want to anymore. I'd rather have mm. two for the price of one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so helpful. And I think you're right in accepting that it's going to be a different experience. It's going to be a different type of pleasure doing it on your own versus with somebody. I think also takes off this pressure to try to replicate how you feel when you're masturbating versus with someone. So I just feel really like I have this like weight lifted off of me. And I just, it's just so nice to just to talk oh, about. Oh, that's it's what like, we want to hear. Oh, oh. Thank you so much, guys. That was awesome. 
Okay, thank you so much to Maddie for calling in with that question. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, the next question we have here is from Michaela. Michaela says, Hi, I've got big confusion around sex and emotional bonding with a partner. Ooh. How do I tell the difference between really liking someone romantically or just actually feeling comfortable and being emotionally attached to them? Ah, okay. In particular, an orgasm with a partner makes me feel bonded to them for perhaps the wrong reasons. For context, I've previously experienced sexual assault. So when I date or have sex with someone that doesn't do those horrible things to me, I feel comfortable around them and I feel like this might actually warp my perception of their other qualities. Any advice much appreciated. So they're essentially ignoring the red flags that might be there because of their experiences before? Or just going over the top in how great they think somebody is when they're just the basic decent bare minimum human, bare minimum bare human being yeah Michaela you glorious globule of glittering humanity <laughs> I I really hope I don't have to tell you this but just in case I do you deserve a partner who does more than just not abuse you. That really is the bare minimum, isn't it? You know, and you are absolutely allowed to desire a deeper connection than that. That is a-okay to want that. Um, unfortunately, though, sometimes the way that we attach to people, our attachment styles, can become really warped by traumas like, like sexual assault or rape uh, or abuse. Um, some people react, and I'm talking very general terms here, but some people can react by becoming avoidant. So in order to protect themselves from being hurt again or misused again, they avoid getting really close to somebody because then intimacy yeah, scares them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm not going to get close to somebody, therefore they can't push me away is a strangely logical way of protecting yourself, right? Unfortunately, the things our brains do to us to try and look after us are often so basic in a way and so um, so feral that they don't allow for our greater um, emotional satisfaction. Mm. So don't get angry with yourself if these are happening. If these things are happening to you. It's, it's your body and your brain trying to look out for you. It only has basic tools is what I'm saying here. Um, other people don't become avoidant. They become more anxiously attached. So they can become quite needy, quite clingy, or they bond really fast because they're seeking comfort and security and someone to look after them and make them feel safe. Um, now, I'm not an expert on this. And ideally, I'd would love someone like Michaela to be able to access therapy and to talk to a qualified counsellor or therapist who can explore their individual situation with them. But to make the situation more complicated, unfortunately, um, as well as using quite basic tools to try and protect us, our body can also play tricks on us because orgasms and sexual pleasure particularly in women, provoke the production of the hormone oxytocin. And one of the impacts of that uh, is that it makes us feel really bonded and close to people mm. and cuddly and cosy and like, they're the greatest person mm -hmm. we ever did meet. <laughs> so your body's kind of potentially pulling a double whammy of a sucker punch on you here, Michaela. Um, one thing that I would suggest it might be really good for Michaela to do is outside of a sexual context, on their own, when they're feeling calm, write down a big list of all the things they really want from a person and from a relationship so it's really clear in their mind. And then if they find themselves 
um, going a little bit OTT gooey over somebody because they've given them the big O or because they've had a lovely sexual experience and they're not sure whether this is the beginning of a genuine romance or just falling head over heels for somebody who hasn't freaking knocked you off your feet by being a cruel bugger. Um, Going back to that list can help you keep your feet on the ground, I think, and, and checking reality versus what is in your head. Is this really what you want? Is this person marrying up with what your desires are? Yeah. How would you treat this floss? I really like what you said about the list. So it's almost like coming up with also a list of non-negotiables. So, yeah. so I think we can get confused between liking someone romantically also because we have this idea of perhaps what we lacked last time and we want so badly for the next person that comes along to be different and to be all of these things and to be this almost like Cinderella story and I'm speaking from my experience here this is what I've done I've completely projected what I wanted a person to be onto them and then I was let down by the uh, the own idea that I'd created of this person in my head because they gave me the absolute bare minimum and it was something that I wasn't used to. Mm -hmm. So I, I just completely, I want to let Michaela know that I completely relate to that experience. Negotiating relationships and pleasure and sex after this kind of trauma, I think it's really worth seeking some specific support as well. There's a brilliant organisation called the My Body Back Project. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. They were set up by a fantastic woman who was a, a survivor herself. Um, they're a volunteer-run organisation. They work with the NHS to do things like cervical smears, fitting IUDs, STI checks, the kind of really important health stuff, but that can be really difficult for somebody to go, extra difficult for someone to go and do if they've had a sexually traumatic experience or an assault. Um, they also run um, very chilled out, like kind of coffee mornings um, in association with a women-centric sex shop called Shush. They're called Cafe V and it's a bunch of people who have gone through things like assault and rape talking about how they can reclaim pleasure for themselves and reclaim feeling empowered within relationships. Um, on the My Body Back Project website, they've got a really great reading list of books and articles that um, folks like Michaela might find handy. Yeah, that's amazing. Alex, that was so well prepared. That's just so many incredible resources there. <laughs> I'm going to check some of those out myself. Okay, we're going to go to a voice note now. This one's from Lucy. Hi, I have a question. Love you guys, by the way. Is there any correlation between hookup culture and just seeing someone for pleasure, sex? Because I always wonder at what point does it become unhealthy, say, to temporarily get over an ex? Or does it all just come down to what feels right to you? Thank you so much for sending in that question. I think about this a lot. And what I think it comes down to for me is how I feel after. Uh -huh. So how I feel after determines for me whether I was fucking because I wanted to fuck or whether I was fucking because I actually wanted intimacy and I left the encounter feeling a bit deflated. And I feel like there's, I personally feel a difference between the two where what I actually wanted was sex and then I, I feel great the next day and I feel empowered versus when I leave and maybe I didn't get the aftercare I needed and required after an orgasm. I think the term casual sex 
suggest to people that they only need to be casual in the way that they approach it and the way that they think about it. Um, when in fact, I think it needs a little bit of deeper thought and consideration to be a, a responsible and fun experience for everybody involved. Casual sex is not like casual clothing. You can't just like stick yourself into somebody like you would a pair of jogging bottoms and then jog on the next day and leave them in a crumpled heap on the floor and, and wonder why they're not feeling so great. So yeah, be an ethical hookup partner to yourself and to others, not just someone who treats another person like joggy bees. I think one of the main ways that you can make sure that hookup sex is healthy sex is to, to make that story have a happy ending for everybody, it's really important to make sure that everybody is on the same page. And this means examining your uh, expectations of whether this is going to turn into a relationship or not. Um, are you believing somebody when you're, they're telling you their truth? Uh, if they say, oh, I don't want a long-term thing, are you secretly hearing, well, you might not now, I can, but yeah, I can, I can convert you. Convert you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you being honest with yourself about what it is you want? Uh, you know, so a little bit of self-honesty. And again, you're going to be bored of it, folks, but communication before a hookup <laughs> with yourself and with others is is a good way of, of making sure that casual sex is, is a great thing. Um, you mentioned feeling shitty afterwards. Mm. I think part of the problem there is some folks assume that um, if it's just a one night stand, that they don't have to do any kind of kindness the next day or after that. Sometimes just a little text to say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, I know last night was just a casual thing, but I wanted you to know I had a really good time or I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. Mm. Being decent to somebody like that can make all the difference in how somebody's yeah. feeling the there's, in, there, there's texting and there's also like physical aftercare, Absolutely. like after an orgasm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, whether that's like, whether you know that you want to be held, but again, it has to be both of the people involved in that encounter have to be super responsible. And like you said, having hookups ethically and not feeling afterwards like you've been used as a wank tissue. And I think that like you said about the joggy bees on the floor, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like feeling like a pair of jogging bottoms on the floor that you just, you've just been disposed of. Also, there's a lot of pressure as a feminist to feel like you should be having and, and should be okay with and cool and chill with lots of oh, casual cool sex right syndrome. cool girl syndrome yeah. oh my god it's massive and as you, a feminist you should be feeling that you can be whatever woman you feel like being if that means having loads of consensual ethical great casual sex then go for it if it means saying no i don't want to do that and that doesn't make me feel my best self right now or at all that's also a-okay absolutely have you heard of the campsite rule before no, what's that? It specifically refers to a relationship, casual or serious, where one person is older than another or where there's an imbalance in the power dynamic. But I think it's a good thing to bear in mind for all relationships. And it says that much like you staying at a campsite, you should leave a relationship or leave a hookup at least as good as how you found it either leave no trace so you haven't made any bad impact at all or preferably leave that person even better than when yeah. than the way that you found them um in my casual sex era um i made a point of whoever i was having fun with i tried to say something honest and celebratory about their technique or their body so that even after i'd gone they had something that would really 
buoy them up and make them feel good Spring about the themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because even a brief experience, even one night can be so impactful, right? We we remember those times. We remember those things that are, were said and, and done to us, whether good or bad. Making a little bit of an extra effort, especially if you know that you don't want to see that person again, to leave them with a gift, um, a kind of like a mint on the pillow, if yeah. you will, <laughs> of something lovely that they can use to bolster their confidence as they go forward in their own sexual journey. Yeah. I think, again, can help to foster that healthy hookup culture. That's amazing. And I've not heard that before. So I'm going to take that away as well. <laughs> be clear and be kind yeah. when you're going to be casual. And now we've got another caller on the line. Okay, Heather, thank you so much for speaking with us today. How's your day been? Good, good. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, so my guest, Alex Fox, and I were going to be able to answer your question. What would you like to ask us? I am trying to <laughs> answer the question and not just be dazzled by your incredible glamour. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, well, my question was if you have any kind of advice or tips um, for people with chronic illnesses or disabilities and having a sex life, um, just because I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is a bowel disease. And some people see it as an invisible disability, as they call it. And just I've noticed in the last two years, it's kind of, it's gotten in the way a bit. And sometimes it's fine. And sometimes it's kind of, it just doesn't seem like having a sex life is an option. So I was just wondering if you've had any tips or advice on breaking that kind of stigma around it. What are the specific issues that you are dealing with? How, do, how does this affect your life? Um, well, at the minute, I'm actually doing a lot better because I've been put on um, an infusion into my blood every month that seems to be working and kind of getting things under control. So at the minute, it's not too bad, but I have to take certain kind of medications. So I have to be home every night and I can't stay over with anyone. And most mornings I can feel quite sick. Mm -hmm. um, so then kind of, you know, the idea of spending the night with someone and then staying over and being there the next morning when you're not feeling well or trying to get home from somewhere when you're not feeling well is just too daunting, I find. So I just don't want to, you know, I just don't want to put myself in that position. And then a few months ago when I was still quite sick, like it was to the point where I just wouldn't go near anyone because I was so afraid of like going even on a date with someone and then feeling sick and trying to explain to someone how I can't go for dinner because I can't eat while I'm out because if I eat, then I'll feel sick and I'll need the bathroom. And it was just very chaotic and kind of heavy. And like, you know, there's times if you're in a bad flare up where you're running to the bathroom so much that you can't actually leave your house. First up, Heather, I bet that does not feel anywhere fucking near invisible to you, yeah. my love. Yeah, exactly. That's really tough. That's li quite literally shit sometimes, yeah, I really imagine. <laughs> it's a real difficult one. Talking generally about sex and disability, I think... If you can hear the voices of other people who are having really brilliant, successful sex lives and also having a righteous rant about the bits that are crap, then that might help you feel better. So, and also shout out to all the other people who are probably tuned in who have all sorts of different disabilities that they're living with. Some really great resources out there to help you. First up, there's a dude called Andrew Gerza who has a podcast called Disability After Dark. He was the originator of the hashtag uh, Disabled People Are Hot. Um, he's got about 275 episodes, so you'll probably find something on oh, there. Wow. Yeah, you'll find your niche on there. Yeah. I'm sure it will. <laughs> so generally about a disability and saucy sexiness, he's a 
he's a really good person to go to. There's a brilliant uh, campaign charity called uh, EnhanceTheUK.org. Um, they've got a campaign called Undressing Disability, which is specifically about um, taking away that weird fear factor that people have about talking about sex and disability and that taboo, that stigma. Um, they've got loads of free downloadable resources on their website. And they also have what they call a love lounge, which is a forum where anybody can ask any question they've got. That might be you who want to give them a cue and, and see what A, they come back with. It might be somebody who isn't uh, a person with a disability, but who is about to start a relationship with someone and wants to know how to do that in a conscientious way. So there's loads of stuff out there that's generally about sex and disability. But there's also tons of stuff specifically about ulcerative colitis. Um, <laughs> have, have you heard of a luscious lass called Hannah Witten? No, I haven't. Hannah is a sex expert, blogger, YouTuber with ulcerative colitis. Um, she uses a stoma bag. I don't know whether that applies to you, um, but she has written and spoken so much about just this topic. So please do check her out. She's going to have so much advice and, and, uh, and ideas that might really work for you, um, yeah. Heather. Um, also, can I ask, and this is a toughie, how have conversations gone so far when you have chatted about your colitis with with people that you've gone on dates with? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's weird. It depends on the person. It kind of helps you filter out the real from the fake people. Uh -huh. Like you can kind of see straight away with someone if you bring it up and they you see it on their face, they make that face and they're like, oh, and you're like, here, nah, they're not good enough life. for you. Yeah, you're just, you're just like, all right, now see it ever. So then, like with. Like I have been quite lucky with the people that I had told about it that I've been out with or that I'd slept with. Like they were actually very understanding, but I didn't kind of go into everything. Like I only told them as much as I was kind of comfortable saying because I'm still, I'm still, I find holding back because I still feel a bit embarrassed, which is ridiculous because uh -huh. I shouldn't feel embarrassed. And I always try to be very open about my illness to encourage other people with the same kind of things to be open as well. And I'm always trying to share stuff on Instagram just so like other people see it and I've had people message me. Yeah. So like for me, I'm just trying to push past that embarrassment and that stigma and just be as open and honest about it as I can with people because it's going to be in my life forever. So yeah. if anybody is going to start some kind of thing with me, like they have to be aware of that. And, you know, if they're not comfortable with it, then, you know, you just have to be like, right see you never <laughs> for sure I'm I'm really excited for people to hear this as well and hear you talk about this openly and yeah. even coming to ask us for our opinions and our advice um I know that someone listening to this is going to be going through something similar if it's not the same disability it will be another one thank you so much for calling us today uh we're going to move on to the next voice note from Grace Hey Floss, I have just started my sexual journey, I suppose, with my first partner, uh, which is very exciting. Um, and I guess I'm just kind of looking for some advice or some tips and tricks on how to figure out what I like um, with sex. And yeah, any way that I can go about, you know, learning about this more. It seems quite overwhelming. There seems like there's so many options uh, and I don't really know where to start. So any advice would be amazing. Thanks so much. 
Oh, Grace, that just warmed my heart. You just, oh, you just, you sound like such a beautiful person. Um, thank you so much for sending in that voice note. I don't know why I'm so giddy. That was just me so, too. Oh. I'm, grin- I'm grinning from ear to ear yeah, and here to here. Yeah. Oh, Grace. I'm excited for Grace. That's why. Me too. That's why you're going to have amazing sex. The thing that immediately came to my mind is that you don't rush into anything. You don't sound like you're in any kind of urgent state. You sound like you're being very intentional and cautious about this in a way that you know it's going to be exciting. I would definitely say that you'd want your first partner to be someone you feel safe with exploring. Mm -hmm. Get used to talking to your sexual partners because if this is going to be your first time, you're going to want to ask them, you know, what do you like? And and it doesn't have to be so formal. You can, you know, whisper in someone's ear, tell me how to fuck you. Where do you like to be kissed? Um, how do you like it like this and you can let people tell you and almost giving prompts during sex that's something I had to get used to is more talking during sex that's what I would recommend I think Grace is in such a good position to have a really fulfilling satisfying exciting love life because they're already asking questions and already calling this a journey. Grace, the journey is lifelong. It never ends. All sorts of things in your existence are going to change and may change how you feel sexually. So stay curious, stay inquisitive about yourself. You never know what you're going to discover next. I'm nearly 40. There are still ways to turn myself on like a little microwave oven ding, <laughs> that I literally only discovered in the last two weeks. So Grace keeps searching. Um, and, and exercise that you might find really helpful as you explore um, where all your good hotspots and tickly bits are is called body mapping. You can do this with your partner or you can do it on your own. Um, You will find a couple of guided exercises online if you give a a Google. It basically involves touching your whole body um, in different ways to find which touches and techniques and which erogenous zones um, light you up like a glowworm's arse. (laughs) Um, And that can help you understand um, a little bit more about maybe places that feel good that aren't the obvious bullseye hotspots like vulva or nipples you know goodness knows what you're going to discover maybe the back of your left ear (laughs) holds promises you never imagined Um, making a sex menu or a list that's called a yes no maybe don't know list where you compile a compendium of stuff you definitely want to try stuff at the moment that's an absolute hard boundary that you know you don't you don't want to explore things that you could be interested in if the mood was right and the person was right and stuff that you just don't know about um that can help you again think actively about places that you want to look at first and and stuff stuff that you want to try in bed. Um, There's quite a few templates online. There's a um, website called Scarletine that has one. So you're not just having to pluck these ideas from the air. (laughs) You can go through uh, an already prepared list to, to kind of get you some inspiration. Another good indicator of maybe hints of the kind of stuff that gets you hot is to pay attention to where your mind naturally wanders when you're masturbating, what turns you on in films or books or songs and why. These are often things that just happen to us naturally Absolutely, we don't really pay attention to them, Just living, just living your life. I I find that there are so so many things and I'm like, oh, didn't didn't realise that turned me on. Yeah. And it'll be certain something that I see someone do with their hands. Uh Uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, that was hot. And then I just like mentally 
categorize it as something new that I learn about myself. Yeah. There's so many different kinds of things and that you will find them in the most unusual places. They're lurking everywhere. I'm so excited for Grace, honestly. Ah, oh, my first call in. Thank you so much for everyone who sent in your questions. I'm so sorry we couldn't answer them all. We could have spoke for hours today. Alex was so prepared. I was so impressed. There's definitely a lot that I'm going to take away from this episode as well, particularly the campsite method or analogy that she had. I think that's so amazing. And sometimes having a little analogy like that helps you put it into practice and you'll get some good sex karma. I'm so glad that I got to speak to Alex today. You can follow her and her many exciting projects on Instagram at Alex Fox. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget I'll be answering even more of your questions on the bonus episodes that are available to subscribers of Apple Podcasts. And these questions don't have to be about sex. You can ask me absolutely anything. If you want your question answered by me, you can drop me a text or a voice note on WhatsApp on plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And that's it for the mini-series on sex. I've enjoyed this series so much. I love talking with Madame Storm about kink, Megan about queerness, Dr. Tamer about healing from sexual trauma, and today with Alex. Uh, actually being able to hear from all of you was incredible and it really feels like you're getting involved in the podcast and that is one of the main reasons I started this show is so that we can actually humanize these conversations and they're not just some slogan you see on Instagram they're actual people next week I'm going to be diving into a brand new topic and a new four-part mini-series all about feminism and the first episode is with my friend the one and only Jamila Jamil and a massive thank you to the fucking incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for my podcast. You can find them on Instagram at BlackHoneyUK and check out their latest album called Written and Directed. To keep yourself updated with all the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take the time to rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review. It really does help people to find us and make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. This is a podcast from something else. My producer is Millie Charles. My assistant producer is Ella McLeod. Executive producer is Carly Mail. Production coordinator is Lily Hambly. I want to give a special thanks to our engineers, Jay Beal, Josh Gibbs, and mixing engineer, Gully Lawrence Tickle. An additional production from Chris Skinner and Teddy Riley. Teddy Riley.